morning, Psalm 8. So, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens through the praise of infants and children, like children and infants. You have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honour. You have made them rulers over works of your hands and you put everything under their feet. All flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sea and the fish in the sea, (coughs) sorry, (laughs) the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, I'll get that right, (laughs) all the swim the paths of the sea. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Hello everyone, my name is Scott, I'm the pastor here at Trinity Church Bracker. Great to be with you this morning. If you're like me, um, well done on being here. Losing an hour of sleep is a tricky thing, right? Uh, I still remember one of the first times I went to see a movie at the movies when my parents when my parents weren't there with us. I went with my sister, it was 1999, I was like early years of being a teenager. And we went to see a movie called The Sixth Sense. Who, who's, seen, who's seen The Sixth Sense? You know it, yeah, yeah. So um, there it is. The, the 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 big the big thing about the movie is the little boy there. He can he can see dead people, right? You know, that's 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 the famous line. I see dead people, and I wouldn't have admitted it then, but I'll tell you right now. I was pretty scared watching the movie. Um, going into the movie though, people are told it's a great movie because there's this wonderful twist at the end. And so I'm um, sitting there waiting for something to happen, and the movie's coming to a close. And the kid has realized that the, the dead people just want to pass on messages to their relatives. And things are winding up. And I'm thinking, well, that's the twist, isn't it? He's figured out what to do. The ghosts really aren't scary. And I thought to myself, that's not such a great ending to the movie, really. But then the real twist came. Where you find out Bruce Willis, the psychologist who's been working with the kid, all along, he's one of the dead people. And just goosebumps, kind of even thinking about it. Don't you love a good movie with a plot twist? Um, Things like The Usual Suspects or Fight Club or Memento. I think they're so good. I really quite enjoy that movie. Uh, Psalm 8 is kind of like that. Psalm 8 is a song with a twist in it. Uh, Over the school holidays in the past couple of years, we get through a couple of the Psalms each time. The Psalms are like a, a songbook in the Old Testament, right? like the hottest 100 of ancient Israel, except there's 150. So um, it's full of songs about God and people, about life and death, joy and despair. And Psalm 8 is like that too. But like I said, Psalm 8 has this great twist in it, which we'll see as we go along. How does Psalm 8 begin then? Well, Psalm 8 really tells us right at the start, it's a song about God's majesty. Uh, And this is not hard to figure out. If you heard when Fiona was reading, that the the bit at the start was exactly the same as the bit at the end. It starts in verse 1, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And how it ends in verse 9, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. That just makes it really easy. You know, even dull people like me can figure out this is a psalm all about God's majesty. God is the one 
who really is powerful. God is the one who really is impressive. This psalm is all about God's majesty. I'm sure you're all aware the Queen died recently, and so there's been a flood of articles written about her, and I particularly enjoyed the ones that have focused on the more funny side of her personality and life. Like the time she decided to cut a cake with a big long sword. Did you see this? Apparently someone said to her, there's a knife over here, you can use this if you want. And she said, I know there is, but this is something more unusual. Anyway, when you met the Queen, uh, you addressed her as Your Majesty. And to some extent, the Queen has a certain amount of majesty. She was a relatively powerful woman. She was quite impressive. But, but she's nothing like God, is she? The Queen has power, yes, but it's, it's, it's quite limited. But God's power is total. God has absolute authority. And the queen is impressive. They, they built quite an aura around her with impressive guards and crowns and all the royal clothes. But God needs none of that to seem impressive, right? He just is in, in, in who he is, in what he's like, in how he acts and what he does. God is impressive. See, Psalm 8 is telling us really clearly, God is majestic. That's what Psalm 8 is all about. God is majestic. Can I ask you a question? Let me ask you a question. What takes your breath away? What, 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 what kind of things in life just make you stand back and go, wow? I don't need you to say this out loud, but I do want you to, to, to just take a moment, think about it. What is it for you that takes your breath away. Here's the second question I want to ask then. Does God hold that place in your life? Is God majestic in your eyes? More on that later. We're going to come back to this. What we're saying is Psalm 8 is a song all about God's majesty. And did you notice, as Fiona read, in verses 1 and 2, it tells us God's majesty, God's glory are locked in. This is not up for dispute. This is not going to change. God's majesty, God's glory is locked in. So towards the end of verse 1, it says that God's glory has been set in the heavens, that is, when we look up at the sky, we catch a glimpse of God's majesty and his power and his greatness. And also that, that the heavenly creatures, the, the, the invisible things, the angels, archangels, demons, these things we can't see, they all know God is majestic. It's not in dispute. And then in verse 2, we see this go on. God's majesty is locked in because his enemies will not overcome him. God has established a stronghold against his animals, against his enemies. They can't get they can't get to him. They can't attack him. God has silenced his foes. They can't even raise up their voices to dispute against him. 
You see, God's glory, God's majesty are locked in. Which says something really important to us, okay? Um, History is not a battle of good versus evil. There's no great tussle between God and Satan with us wondering who is going to win out. In the end, history is simply going to tell us the story of God's victory again and again and again. You know, from time to time, people rise up and they think that they have real power, that they really are in charge, but each time, does not history prove them wrong? They lose support of their people. They lose power. And even if they don't, eventually they die and they, they just can't keep ruling after that. But friends, 10,000 years into eternity, God will still be the one who is ruling, who is ruling in majesty. God will still be the one who is glorious. His glory is locked in. Kind of like the AFL Grand Final last week. Anyone watch it? (laughs) I've got a couple of people who did. Um, Can I tell you, I didn't watch it. Uh, I, I remembered it was on. I was doing a bit of work, and so I flicked on Google and said, what score is the AFL Grand Final? The first quarter had finished, and already it was 41 points to six. The Cats were up. And at that point, the result was locked in, wasn't it? There was no way the Swans were going to come back and, and snatch victory. I actually have a few friends who are supporters of the Swans, and I saw on Facebook... Um, one of them had a, had a, had a uh, picture. But the caption of the picture was, this is the mood in our house at the moment. And the picture was their kid all decked out in the swan's gear, lying on the couch, face down, not even bothered to look at the television anymore. The, the, the victory of the cats was locked in. Psalm 8 is telling us that that's true about God. His victory is locked in. There's, there's never a time, friends, when that won't be true. God is always going to be the glorious, majestic one. So again, let me ask, is that how you see God? At this point, though, you might have a question. Where does that leave us, humanity? Are we humans here simply to be witnesses of God's glory? Do we exist just so that God will have someone to rule over? If history is a story of God's victory, where do we fit into all of this? The psalm goes on in verse 3 and 4 to talk about humanity. And perhaps this might be the most famous part of the psalm. Look at what it says again. Verse 3. When I consider your heavens... The work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've set in place. What is mankind that you're mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. The other day I took the kids to the playground near our house. It was a bright day like today. It was really nice to be outside. So the kids started running around the playground. I sat down on the bench at the park and... I just looked up. It was clear blue skies. I looked up into the sky and I thought, what is above me at this point? And if I could go up, what's up there? 
A kilometer after kilometer that stretches beyond the blue sky out into the vastness of the universe. And it made me realize just how small I am. That's what the writer of the psalm is, is thinking about here. He's, he's not looking up into the blue sky. He's looking up into the night sky. And he's seeing the moon and the stars. And he thinks to himself, who are we that, that, that God should think about us? What, what's humanity that the, that the God of the universe should care about us? We seem so small, don't we? Have you ever had that experience? Where you, you look up into the night sky and it just makes you feel so, so small, so maybe insignificant even. Earlier this year, um, the James Webb Telescope took some pictures from deep space. Kids, look up and have a look at some of these pictures here. They were amazing, right? Um, far away galaxies in great color and detail. It, some of the images you saw were just jaw-dropping. And if you think about this for long enough, it leaves you with that feeling of being so small in such a vast cosmos. Although, did you hear about the French scientist? <laughs> he tweeted this picture. And he said it was an image from the James Webb Telescope. It was a distant star that they'd seen. And on first glance, you might think, well, that's pretty phenomenal, isn't it? But it's a fake. Do you know what this is? This is a sausage from his lunchbox that he cut in half. <laughs> Put that to one side from it. Think about the, the, the vastness of the universe. It can make us feel so small that, that perhaps we just don't matter in this big thing that God has made. But God says, no. God says, you aren't just some insignificant life form on a rock in the backwaters of the Milky Way. Look at verse 5. Look what God says about humanity, what God does with humanity. Verse 5. Talking, it's talking about what God has done for people. You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet. God does not treat humanity as insignificant byproducts, but he gives us a place of glory and that should be, friends, that should be astounding to us. But, before we get too far ahead of ourselves, there's, we need, there's, there's, there's three places we need to go, three views that we need to look on and observe these verses from. It's kind of like if you dug up in your backyard and found some great, great kind of crystal or, or gem. You'd put it in your hand and you would move it around, wouldn't you, to see all of it in its goodness. That's what we need to do with these verses too. We need to look at it from, from three different angles, from three places, three perspectives, three views to, to get an appreciation of what these verses are saying to us. So firstly, where do we need to go? We need to go back to the beginning, back to creation, right? Back when God made the world, like we saw in, in, the, in, the, in, in the thing the kids did for us here. 
And when we're there, we see Psalm 8 in its, I'll say it's plain sense. God makes humanity, men and women, and he gives us a place of honor in his creation. He puts humans over the rest of creation to rule it, but not like we're nasty overlords who just whip everything and make it to it to do what we want it to do, but we're to rule it in a way that we take care for it. That is the place of humanity in creation. So what verse 6 says, God puts everything under our feet. But if we move on in our journey, we know what happened after. We get to the fall. This time when humanity rebels against God, Adam and Eve, they're there in the garden and they say to God, look, we've heard what you said, but we think we want to do it our way. That's better, God. And ever since then, that's what humanity keeps doing. When we get to the fall, we see that Psalm 8 doesn't really fit for us anymore, does it? Humanity is still the dominant species on planet Earth, but, but something has gone wrong. Something's missing. The glory and honor that God has crowned us with, it's patchy, distorted. The rule that we were supposed to have over creation, we just don't get that right, do we? In the New Testament, one of the writers there looks back and he talks about Psalm 8 and he he puts it like this. But there's a place that someone has testified, what is mankind that you're mindful of them, a son of man that you care for him. You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. Right? He's quoting from Psalm 8. He's reminding us of what Psalm 8 says. And then he goes on. He says, in putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Here's the key thing. Yet, at present, we do not see everything subject to them. See, that's the view from the fall. When you get to the fall, you realize not everything is subject to us. We have lost our Psalm 8 place of glory and honor. Humanity is not there anymore. There's one more view we need to take, one more place we need to go. Here it is. We go to the cross. This is the place of Jesus' death. And when we get to the cross and look at Psalm 8, we realize Psalm 8 is fundamentally, is ultimately about Jesus. So we're going to look at that same part of the New Testament again. That's the letter to the Hebrews. Um, I'll just recap. In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present we don't see everything subject to them. That's what we're saying. It's the view from the fall. But here's the view from the cross. Look what it says. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. In, bring, in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Do you see what it's saying about Psalm 8 here? That Psalm 8 is a psalm about Jesus. That he is the one who was made lower than the angels. He became like us, human. He lived among us. He died among us. But, 
But his death isn't the end, you know. The, de- the death of Jesus is the start of something. Because God, it says that God sees Jesus do this. And because of his death, God crowns Jesus with glory and honor. He's the one that Psalm 8 talks about. But wait, there's more. Because of his death, God gives Jesus glory and honor. And through his death, Jesus can bring us back to that place of glory and honor as well. We see, and with our view from the cross, we see that we can be Psalm 8 people too. And this really brings us back to the point of the psalm. Psalm 8, we've said this, it's all about God's majesty, God's glory. Psalm 8 tells us that God's glory is locked in. It's not up for grabs. Here's the question. How does God do that? How does God make sure that happens? How does God accomplish all of this? This is where the great twist comes in Psalm 2, friends. Because God doesn't do it by a great display of his majesty. God does it through weakness. God doesn't make us quiver in our boots by sending his heavenly armies to march down our streets in a show of his strength. God uses weakness. To achieve his great plan. God uses weakness to bring about his glory. Did you notice that's what happens in verse 2? In verse 2, God establishes his stronghold. He silences his foes. But how does God do that? What does verse 2 say? It is through an act of weakness. It is through the praise of children, infants. God's majesty, friends, the glory, we we, we see God's majesty in how he uses what seems weak to bring about his glory. There is the twist in the psalm. There, There is something that you'll never see in the world. God uses things that seem weak to bring about his glory. That shows us the majesty of God. Just think about it for a moment. What's the enduring symbol? You can ask this question for me. What is the enduring symbol of Christianity? The cross. Yeah. Which, for us, we we don't think twice about that. Um, We've become so used to it. But this is incredibly odd. Crucifixion is the ultimate sign of humiliation in the ancient world it is a marker of defeat and shame and yet it is the cross that god uses to bring victory it is this sign of weakness by which god achieves his great plan it is the cross that god uses to restore humanity back to a place of glory and honor An act of weakness is God's victory. So what does our response need to be? 
Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Here we go then. Three, three, I've got three reflections for us as we end. Firstly, how are you responding to God? Are you filled with awe at the majesty of your God? Is he majestic in your eyes? Now, I get that none of us will truly grasp the fullness of how wonderful God is. And we'll all have ups and downs in our lives. But here's the question. What, what trajectory are you on? Where is, where is your life's path going? Are you growing less in awe of God than when you were a kid or when you first became a follower of Jesus? Or are you growing deeper in the wonder, deeper in the awe of who our God is? Our God is majestic, friends. Does he have this place in your eyes? Second reflection. My weaknesses don't take away from God. So often in society, we're measured on what we can and can't do. Our workplaces, they measure our value on the output we can do for them. And so, don't we often feel our weaknesses? Things that we wish we were better at. Skills we really would love to have. Health problems we would rather be without. Anxiety or depression that we just want to go away, but we can't make it. Into this, friends, Psalm 8 speaks loudly. Because with God, weaknesses don't stop him. Instead, what have we seen in the psalm? God actually uses weakness. He uses weakness to bring about his glory. So friends, hear this. If you are feeling your own personal weaknesses, don't fret. God can use you. God can and he does bring about his plans. He brings about his glory, not in spite of our weaknesses, not by taking away our weaknesses, but through them, through using broken people like you and me. God brings about his glory. Third reflection, final one. Friends, grow in awe of God. I asked, I asked the question before, are you growing more or less in awe of God? Um, we should automatically ask us, make the question, if, if I'm going backwards there, what should I do? I don't think there's a one real answer that just you know, one size fits all here. There's no silver bullet. But I just want to give a few suggestions that I think might help. These aren't things that you do in one off and there's your answer, but, but habits to keep building into your life. Here we go. When you read the Bible, 
keep paying attention to what the Bible says about God. Ask yourself things like, who's God here? What is he like? What does he do? In the passage I'm reading, what, what do I see that makes me love him? What do I see here that makes me want to praise him? And then also, try and carve out time in your, in, your, in your calendar, in your diary, where you can have longer to meditate on what the Bible's saying. So, so where you're in the Word and you can focus for a longer time on the God that you meet there. Good, good, good solid time to contemplate who He is. And... Make sure that praise is a normal part of your prayer life. If, if you pray anything like me, often your prayers are, thank you God for X and please help, please help me God in Y. I say thanks and I ask him for stuff. I need to bring in praise for God, don't I? Prayer ought to be full of praise for God, for who he is. Spend time telling God what you love about him. Spend time telling God why you're so enamored with him, what you see is so good with him. I'm sure the more you do this, the more habitual it becomes in your life, the more you realize God is actually, he really is awesome. And friends, can I say, finally, keep chatting about this with one another. I'm just giving you a few ideas up here. I'm sure there's much, there's, there's heaps more ideas amongst us. So why not talk to one another afterwards? Encourage each other in ways that we can grow in awe of God. Ask each other what you're doing. Encourage each other in ways that we can grow in awe of our God. Which is what we're going to do now. Um, band's going to come up. See, normally right now I'd stop and I'd pray. Um... But we're going to encourage one another that our God is majestic through a song. The song is kind of like a prayer. We're going to sing to God while we think he really is great. But it's also a way of encouraging each other as we hear together and sing together that our God is great. Why don't we stand up and let's do this together now.